Very good, very good. Happy to see you all here. I hope you had a good night last night, good night's sleep. Need your minds switched on and operable this morning. We've got a bit of stuff that we're going to be going through. We had a lot of exciting stuff that we went through yesterday. It's going to get more exciting, I hope, for you guys today. And uh, I always look forward to this class because I know that you're so attentive and so intelligent. And that's what I need. I need smart, intelligent, attentive people. All right, we're going to open in a word of prayer and we'll get stuck into our, uh, our study this morning. Father, we ask you, dear Lord, please be with us, dear Father. I thank you for your word, for your work, for your work within our own lives, within our own hearts. I pray, dear Lord, that you will give us hearts of understanding, that we will have ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would recognise the truth of who you are, and that indeed the heavens declare the wonderful glory of God. We praise you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. I ask you that you'll be with us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Okay, so... Yesterday, we sort of finished off with asking a real fundamental question, what are you betting with? What are you betting with? Because there's a very, very strong chance that you are indeed all in. You are all in. And making sure that you understand what we're talking about, we're not talking about um, your financial situation. I'm not talking about somebody else's life. And I'm not talking about somebody else's soul. I'm talking about yours. And you can put your own name there. We're talking about you. What are you betting with? Do you know whether or not God is? And what are the chances that God is not? Today we're going to be going through some really interesting odds. And I want to have that firmly implanted in your mind that there is a bet being played today by the vast majority of the people in the world. Okay? Psalm 14 says, The fool has said in his head there is no God. Yeah? Sorry, heart. Is there a difference between the head and the heart? There is a difference between the head and the heart. It seems to be a difference between the head and the heart. In, uh, in Romans one twenty one, we spoke about this yesterday. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. But they became vain in their imaginations. That's like empty in your imaginations. Okay? And their foolish heart was... Their foolish what was darkened? Their foolish heart was darkened. And then professing themselves to be wise... They became fools. Didn't begin as fools, became fools. We're not born fools. We're born sinners. But we're not born fools. We become fools once we reject the knowledge of God. The Bible says the heavens declare his glory and the firmament showeth his handiwork. It says that day unto day it utters speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. That's interesting. When do we study the stars? Day or night? Night. Night. Night unto night showeth knowledge. Incredible how we can learn things about the stars just watching it at night. There's an interesting story, and I alluded to this yesterday, about the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's travelling on the Emmaus Road, and as he's travelling, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he comes across that passage, that famous passage in Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, he's, he's confused about who this is referring to. And Philip hears him reading the book of Isaiah. He's obviously reading aloud. And he yells out to him and he says, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, How can I, lest some man tell me and explain it to me? So Philip jumps up onto the carriage and they start at Isaiah 53 and he explains who that's referring to and who Jesus Christ actually is. Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Okay? And he says this, he comes to it and he believes it and he says, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptised? 
He's asking a question, isn't he? This is something that might hinder me from being baptised. What is it that hinders me from being baptised? Well, there's certain Christian traditions today that nothing hinders you from being baptised. Um, as soon as you're born, they baptise you and up you come and you're all good to go. A little bit of sprinkling and you're done. You're, re- you're welcomed into God's family. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. It actually teaches that there is something that actually hinders you from being baptised. 37, verse 37, gives you the answer. And it tells you this. Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How incredible. He believes it in his head? No, he believes in his heart. We believe in our heart that Jesus... We can always have a conceptual understanding and knowledge that God is. When I read this book, where am I? 20 years ago, I read this book, the very book, A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Um, I mentioned that I actually came to the belief in God through reading books like this. Um, I had a head knowledge that God is. I knew in my mind that God has to exist. You can't be throwing about these numbers and betting that God does not exist. I believed he existed. Head knowledge. I didn't have heart knowledge yet, though. I wasn't born again. I wasn't saved at that point. But I was willing to defend the reality of who God is anywhere I went, if it was questioned. Jesus speaks about this interesting story where he's casting seed. You know that that story when he's casting seed and he says that some fell on the wayside and some fell in the rock and some fell on stony places and some fell on good ground, deep soil. And he explains it this way. He says, those that are by the wayside... Are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Okay? Remember what he referred to with regards to the seed. He said the seed is what? It's what? The, the word. Isn't it? The seed is the word. The field is the world. Okay? And the heart is where it needs to be. And he says, and he says that they come and he takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Romans 10.9 says, If thou shalt confess the Lord with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How do we believe? Do we believe in our heads or in our hearts? Remember Jeremiah 17.9? It's our heads that are deceived because the heart is deceitful. Okay? And, and the, uh, the Psalms told us that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Romans 1.20 goes back to that point. Now, I want to touch on a couple of things here real quick. It says here the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. It says there, being understood by the things that are made. Notice, the invisible things of him, okay, are clearly seen. How do you see invisible things? Well, you see them by understanding. By understanding by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You often get the argument about, oh, what do you do with the pygmy in deepest, darkest Africa? How do we get the gospel out to him? Okay? Yet he can know that God is, simply because the heavens declare his glory. But then there's this interesting passage in Hebrews. Have a look at this one. So we can make sense of this. It's, it says in Hebrews 11, it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. (coughs) What does that mean? Things which are seen are not made with things which do appear. What on earth could that be talking about? Have you got a guess? When you don't have 
Okay, but the things which are seen here are not made. This desk, I can see. Book, I can see. I can see you guys. But we're not made of things which do appear. What on earth is that talking about? What are we made of? What's something that we might be made of that doesn't actually appear, that you can't see? Character. No, it's a physical attribute here. Sorry? Think science. Think science. Really, really small. Atoms. atoms. Exactly right. Atoms. So we're made of atoms. You want a mint? Yes. You were too far to throw one to you last time. Yeah. So, atoms. Atoms. How incredible that is. For thousands of years, it has been known that atoms exist. That things are made by things which do not appear. You can't see them. Okay? They don't appear. And yet it was only in the 1980s that we had the electron microscope that we were actually able to see an atom. But up until that time, we couldn't see one. No one can see one with the naked eye. It's impossible. So things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. What an incredible passage to find in the book of Hebrews written 2,000 years ago about reality. About reality. Okay, now it goes back to that question again. What are you betting with? What are you betting with? We, we touched on this coin. So what are the chances? What are our odds? When we talk about our odds on a coin, give it to me in numbers, not percentages. How many potential outcomes are there? Two. There's two. So how many chances are that it's going to land on one of those outcomes? It's one chance in two. Yeah? So when we flip a coin, we've got one chance in two. Okay, what about if we're playing two up? How many coins have we got? Two. two. So how, how do we work out the potential outcome there? Okay, so you multiply them, yeah? So that's two, that's two. The potential outcome between the two of them is one chance in four, yeah? Okay, so two up has a one chance in four, in four of working out exactly where you want it. It doesn't work out when you play two up because they usually work odds, okay? They go odds and then you've got evens. So you can play odds and evens or you can play odds and tails or heads, okay? So sometimes it also works one chance in three, okay? Because odds turn up twice. Uh, two times. What about dice? In one die, how many sides are there? Six. So how many potential outcomes are there? Six. six. So it's one chance in? Six. six. What about if you've got two of them? Think about it. How many potential outcomes are there? What do we do with it? We add it or do we multiply it? You multiply it. Okay? So to have two dice, you've got one chance in 36. Okay? Of coming up with the right number. So I want you to think conceptually about Odds, chances, okay, because this is going to be important later on as we go on. Roulette, there's 35 numbers in roulette plus the zero, there's 36. How many potential outcomes is it for that ball to be plopping into? 36. 36, so odds are one chance in 36. Sneaky casinos, though, they don't include the zero, so they only ever pay out one chance in 35. And some of them have got two zeros. Hmm. So there's 37 potential outcomes. Um, five cent jar, okay. All right, I've got, I've got some five cent pieces here. There's 3,000 of them in there. 3,000 five cent pieces, they take up that jar. It's only 150 bucks, don't get too excited. But I went to the bank, I was actually surprised the bank actually had it all. So we're sitting there pouring it all. I've got to fill up the jar, I said. And it worked out to be exactly 3,000 of them there. So what I've done is I've marked one of them. That's marked black texture. 
So you plonk that in there, you seal it up, you shake it up as much as you can so that marked five cent piece can logically be anywhere within that jar. So the chance of pulling out in one go the very first five cent piece that's marked is what are our odds if there's 3,000 of them in there? One chance in 3,000. Really good. Excellent. Okay. Have you been hit by lightning? Know anybody that's been hit by lightning? Yeah. It's not flash, is it? Sorry, I used that. That was really good. I liked it. Um, so I, I remember travelling from Gisborne to... Where was I going? Gisborne to Backers Marsh. Gisborne to Backers Marsh Road, and it was just thunder and lightning all over the place, and I'm driving. And I was riding. I can't remember if I had my bike. No, I was in my car. I was in my car. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking, all right, Lord, if now's the time to go, fine, you know, because I was frightened, really frightened about getting hit by lightning. But if you're in the right place at the right time, wrong place at the wrong time, um, it's one chance in 960,000 to be hit by lightning, okay? So that works out roughly to 320 of my five-cent jars, okay? So 320 of my five-cent jars, you mark the five-cent, you pluck that one out, that's your chances of being hit by lightning, all right? So you don't have to be too frightened unless you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, what I need to do here, because the odds are starting to get big, so I need to use a mathematical or a scientific sort of formula to create these numbers. So 960,000, it's the same as saying 9.6 multiplied by 10 to the fifth, okay? The fifth that you've got there is the number of zeros that come after the one, Okay? Number of zeros that come after the one. So 960,000 is the same as 9.6 by 10 to the fifth. Tats Lotto. Who likes Tats Lotto? What's the chances of winning Tats Lotto, you reckon? First division. Not a good one, is it? Okay, works out to um, one chance in 8,145,060. You can get this directly off their website, by the way. That's where I got this. Okay, so that's the odds. Which works out to... 2,715 jars of my five cent pieces. All right? So you mark the five cent piece, you throw it in a big vat with 2,715 of those jars, multiplied by 3,000 five cent pieces, um, and you come up with that number. Works out scientifically 8.14506 by 10 to the sixth. We've added another digit, that's why you've got 10 to the sixth. Okay? So it's 10 times more. Remember, every number that goes up, is 10 times bigger than the number before, right? So 10 to the 5th is 10 times smaller than 10 to the 6th. You got it? Yeah. Okay, year, year 11, you should know this stuff anyway. Um, what about Powerball? Ever played Powerball? You reckon the Powerball odds are bigger or smaller? Bigger. Yeah, I didn't know that until I checked it out on their website. They're a little bit bigger. It's um, one chance in 76,767,000. It works out to 25,589 jars of my five-cent pieces. That's how big your chances are of winning Powerball. Who's going to play? Come on, put your heart in. That'd be right. They always say the same thing. You've got to be in it to win it, and someone's got to win it. Well, no, that's why you're called jackpot. No, not everybody wins, you know. So the chances are very, very small that you're going to win. Works out to this number, 7.676767. It goes on to 10 to the 7th. So again, you've got an extra 10 times greater, so it's a little bit bigger. Now, this is a question. Where's that found in our Bible? First three words, yeah? First three words. 
If you can get rid of those first three words, if you can make those first three words not mean what they say, um, what happens to the rest of the Bible? Well, go on. I'll explain it as we go on. Okay. Is the universe infinite? Is the universe infinite? In other words, with respect to the universe, does it go back in time infinitely? Is it always been? Well, in the 5th century BC, they believed that it did. So when you've got men like Plato and his student Aristotle, okay, they believed that the universe was infinite. It had always been believed that way. Move forward 25 centuries. 25 centuries. You think we're really smart 25 centuries later. In the 20th century, intelligent men, relatively intelligent, a little bit more than me, just a little bit more than me. Men like Albert Einstein, okay, believed that the universe was infinite. It's infinite in time. It goes back for all eternity past, okay? It's an infinite time value. But same with Carl Sagan, also believed exactly the same thing. Einstein was a very clever man because he also recognised something really interesting. He recognised that his theory of relativity actually proposed that the universe isn't static. That's a real problem because you see the mentality of the times were that the universe was static. In other words, it had always been there in infinity past. So he didn't want to really, really get him too upset and he didn't really like the idea of having a beginning because if you had a beginning, then you've got to begin to begin with the beginning. And there's a real problem with beginning to begin with the beginning because you've got a beginner that you need to deal with. Make sense? Mm-hmm. You recognise if you've got a beginning, you need a beginner to begin the beginning. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Just, it does make sense. So he came up with what's known as the cosmological constant. Uh, it's identified by this little Greek letter, lambda here. Okay? And it was basically a fudge factor. So what he did was he plugged in the fudge factor into his theory of relativity to create a static universe. You see, because gravity was doing something where it was actually forcing the universe and the galaxies within the universe to expand. So that's what it would do. But he can't have that because if it's expanding, then it must have been much smaller and you can't have it going much smaller if you're going back in infinity past. Make sense? So he plugged in this fudge factor. Then you have men like Carl Sagan who says this. This is what he believed. This is what he taught. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Our contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There's a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a great height. We know we are approaching the grandest of mysteries. So what did Carl Sagan believe about the cosmos? What did he say about it? Cosmos is all there is, all there was, and all there ever will be. That's on video. That was when movies were around. That was after Einstein. That's not that long ago. So you've got Melton like Carl Sagan who actually believed that the universe is all there is, all there was. Sorry? Is there a lot of evidence that there must be? That the universe goes back to infinity? I reckon we can work it out later. We're going to try and work it out, all right? We'll see if we can work it out, whether, whether it's feasible that the universe can go back to infinity. Something else happened, though. Just before Mr Sagan and not long after... 
um, Einstein, there was already a groundswell of scientific understanding, recognising that the universe potentially had a beginning. Now, this was creating quite a stir within the scientific community because they understand that if you have a beginning, <coughs> I need your attention, very careful. Okay. If there is a beginning, if there is a beginning, they understand that that has certain philosophical consequences. Do you know what? Does it really matter, guys? Does it really matter? If you discover something to be scientifically true and absolute, does it really matter what the philosophical consequences are? I mean, I mean, with respect to, you know, not wanting to believe them, but they're true anyway. You know, if they're true, and if that's what it points to, then so be it. You know, we said yesterday that if God doesn't exist, and if that's true, so be it. But if he does, then so be it. Hey? We need to deal with the consequences of that. At this time, you've got the 1940s and the 1950s. At this point, Einstein was starting to recognise as a real problem with his cosmological constant. And all of a sudden, you have this gentleman by, by the name of Arnold, Arno Penzias. Oh, in, like those? That's a, that's a picture of one part of our... Um, um, so that's a telescope peering out on one section of where our universe is. Um, you like all the stars there? The only thing is they're not stars, they're galaxies. Yeah, they're all galaxies, those ones. So it's a pretty big universe. So if that's just pointing out in one particular part of the universe, that's pointing out just one particular part of the universe. You can understand people thinking that the universe goes on or has been around for all eternity. You can't have it that big otherwise. So, but, um, all right, let's, let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at this. Infinity. I want to do a mind exercise with you. Infinity. Now, we can conceive of what infinity is, can't we? Yeah? What is it? Never ending. It doesn't end. Does it have a beginning? No. no. Does it have an end? No. No. All right. So conceptually, we can see that infinity is infinite and goes on forever. So we could recognise that. Okay. Yes, sir. Who made up the word? I don't know. <laughs> Send me a text when you find out. <laughs> infinity. The problem. What we've got a problem though with infinity. So I want you to help me out with this. There's three major problems with the entire infinity in reality. We know that it exists conceptually. We can conceive of infinity. But how does it work in reality? Contradiction in math. Okay. How many odd... If you're going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, infinity, how many odd numbers are there? An infinite number of odd numbers. How many even numbers are there? Infinite number of even numbers. Okay, so what we want to do is... I want to, I want to work out an equation, and what we want to do is we want to, get, we want to take away all the, um, all the even numbers. All right? I want to deduct all the even numbers. All right? Can we do that? And we'll see what our answer is in the end. Okay? So how would the equation work? Give me the equation. What would it be? No, no, no. Think about it. Okay? So if there's an infinite number of odd numbers and an infinite number of even numbers, what's my equation? Infinity? Yeah, well done. So it's infinity. Take away infinity. <laughs> how cool is that? How cool is that? I blonged him on the head. Sorry, man. Didn't mean that. All right, so what do you reckon our answer is? Nothing. You're taking away the odd numbers from the even numbers. That's what you're doing, all right? So you've got infinity minus infinity equals infinity. Well done. So infinity minus infinity equals infinity. 
Make sense? Yeah. That's the equation. Come on, guys. Get together. <laughs> All right. Next question. What I want to do is now, because that's too difficult, what I want to do is I only want to deduct all the numbers greater than three. Okay? I want to take away all the numbers greater than three. How many numbers are there greater than three? Infinity. So what's my equation? Infinity. Take away infinity. So you've got infinity. Take away infinity. What does it equal? I'm taking away all the numbers greater than three. So what's my answer? Three. Three. <laughs> so the equation is infinity minus infinity equals? Three. Three. Okay. All right. This is really getting me stuck. Well, because you've taken away all the numbers greater than three. There's an infinite number of numbers greater than three, so you've got infinity take away infinity, but it equals three. But you said there was no beginning, so how do we know Yeah, but we're working on a beginning on this one, right? Just bear with me, right? Because it's a mathematical issue. You have to have a beginning somewhere. All right, now, next question that we got. Next question that we got. What we want to do now is... <laughs> I was sick of playing this game with this. I want to deduct both the even numbers and the odd numbers. What's my equation? Infinity minus infinity. So I've deducted all the odd numbers, all the even numbers, right? So my equation is infinity minus infinity. What does it equal? What does it equal? Zero. Who said zero? Ah, oh, Minty. How weird is that? I don't know who got that one. So. Um, how weird is that? So we've got a problem. We've got a contradiction in math. So you've got three equations exactly the same. There's the third one. Exactly the same equation and a different answer. The only thing that changes and gives us the answer is the parameter that we've used to build it up. Do you see the problem with infinity? You can't even work it out mathematically because there's a contradiction in math. Okay, what about... If we were to work it out with respect to um, trying to add something to it, you can't build on an infinity apparently. Okay, so you can't build on an infinity. Pencils. All right. So you started with your pencils and you want to have enough pencils to get to infinity. How long are you going to be putting pencils down? Forever. So can it be done? No. No, it can't be done. All right, so you've got a real problem trying to add to infinity. Um, you can't have an infinite regression of time. Okay, so you can't have time going back into the infinite past because if you do, you'll never get to today. Hello? Yeah. Hi. All right, all right. How do I work this out? Okay, hang on. We'll work it out this way. Say, say, Eddie has a pencil. Eddie has a pencil. And he puts his name on a pencil. He's got his name, Eddie Pencil. Okay? Eddie Pencil. Now, what I have, however, I have an infinite number of pencils before my pencil. If we started infinity ago, when would we ever get to my pencil? Never. Never. All right. You're travelling. You want to go from... You live in Brisbane. You've been there for a while. You want to go home and you're, you live in Darwin. All right. And you've got to go from Brisbane to Darwin. And you know it's going to take you a certain amount of time to get to Darwin. But you figure you'd let your mum know ahead of time that... Prepare some dinner, you know, or something. To get some, put the roast on, right? So, but they changed the signs now. They changed all the, uh, all the, you know, the signs that tells you this town is this many kilometres, this town is this many kilometres, this town is this many kilometres. But lo and behold, you come out of Brisbane and you end up seeing this sign. <laughs> We're on the Rorago Highway and, you know, Gatton's 44 k's and Toowoomba's 82. Yes. But you've got, a, you've, got, you've got a problem with 
Darwin. What time do you tell your mum you're going to be home? Will you ever get to Darwin? You can't get to Darwin because you can't cross time. You can't cross over. You can't add to infinity. Okay? No, infinity is forever. You can't get there. It doesn't exist in real life. It exists conceptually. So, at this particular time, Mr. Einstein recognised that his cosmological constant, the factor that he actually put in, is a major blunder. To this day, it's referred to as the biggest blunder of Einstein's career. The cosmological constant was a problem. And at that time, this man, Arno Penzias, discovered what was known as the background in, uh, radiation of the universe. It's called 3K. Uh, who knows what the temperature Kelvin is? Anybody know what Kelvin is? Yes, the teacher at the back knows what Kelvin is. Okay, so there's a number called absolute zero. It's a temperature that you cannot get any colder than. You can't get any colder than this temperature, and it's 273 degrees minus, um, uh, minus 273 degrees Celsius, okay? That's absolute zero. That's essentially zero Kelvin. What this scientist discovered, or what he realised, was that if the universe began... If the universe was, sorry, if the universe had always existed, then the background temperature, the radiation or the temperature of the universe should be uniform and it should be absolute zero. Make sense? So if the universe has been here for all eternity, does it not make sense that it would be a zero temperature throughout the universe as far as its average was concerned? Would make sense, yeah? He then thought that if it's a temperature above absolute zero, then potentially it's, um, it didn't always exist. So he discovered the background radiation. And what he discovered with this was that the temperature of the universe, the background radi radiation is three degrees above, three degrees above <laughs> absolute zero, zero Kelvin. He was the, um, the one that was instrumental in actually putting together Big Bang cosmology. And it was at that point that they realised 100% the universe actually had a beginning. There was a bunch of other things going on at the same time. So we have a Big Bang. All right. Massive explosion of light, Big Bang. Good, huh? So now we go back to the book of Genesis. And instead of having once upon a time, we have in the beginning. Okay, because up, up until then, if there was no time for the universe, then it had to be once upon a time. Can't have in the beginning because there was no beginning. So we've got a big bang. That's exciting. All right, so we're at step one. We've got a beginning to deal with. The thing is, with respect to the beginning, there are parameters to this massive bang. And Stephen Hawking, um, and this is a quote directly out of this book, he spoke about it. He said, if the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have recollapsed before it even reached its present size. So what are the odds? There were one part in a thousand million million different potential temperatures or rather rates of expansion. If it was any different then the universe would have recollapsed, you wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here, forget about anything else. You don't have to worry about God at that point, you don't have to worry about reality at that point. What's the number? That's one part in 10 to the 17th. You know how big a number that is? 
That's a couple more coins than I got there. <laughs> All right? So it's basically that many five cent jars. So it's 33,333 trillion. Well, it's basically 33 quadrillion. Okay? Uh, and right up, right up, and some change. There's a little bit of change there. Five cent jars. I'd like to take out, yeah, 10 to the 17th five cent pieces, please. Yeah. That'd be, uh, be a problem. Can you conceive of that bigger number? No. Nope. You can't. I'm going to try and break it down for you as much as I can. Can I do that? Yeah. Just, just so you've got a bit of an idea on how big that number is, all right? Um, um, I need a volunteer. Just a name. Just, what's your name? Sorry? Joey. Joey. Hi, Joey. I'm Eddie. Pleased to meet you. That's really... Cheers. All right. So, um, mind exercise. What I had to work out was trying to conceive for you guys how many coins that is. So I started thinking about Victoria. And I started thinking about how big Victoria is. Victoria is uh, 237,629 square kilometres. Uh, and I've got a five cent piece. A uh, five cent piece is 283 millimetres squared. Okay, so I wanted to work out how many five cent pieces it would take to actually cover the state of Victoria. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd play that game. So I had to do some math. And so, five cent pieces, 283 millimetres squared. Um, to break that down into millimetres, it's that number. Then I divided that by 283, and it works out to that many five cent pieces. Okay? Right? Okay. You got that so far? All right. Now, that works out to... Okay. So, that's how many five cent pieces there are. So, I want you to get this, all right? Um, I want you to imagine this room covered in five cent pieces. Is that a few five cent pieces? That's a few, yeah? I don't know how many would fit in here, but it would be a few five cent pieces. Now I want you to think about the schoolyard. Think about the oval. I want you to think about the oval completely covered in five cent pieces. All you see is five cent pieces, no grass. And then the entire block of the school covered in five cent pieces. But Ballarat, what about Ballarat? Everywhere you go, Five cent pieces. There's five cent pieces everywhere. You can't go through Ballarat without seeing a five cent piece. But then you want to go to Melton. And it's five cent pieces on the road, on all the fields as you're driving through. And then you want to go to Melbourne. And there's five cent pieces everywhere. You decide to go to the beach. You like the Great Ocean Road. So you drive all the way past along and all that sort of stuff and you go to the beach and there's five cent pieces covering the ground everywhere. You go right to the South Australian border and it's five cent pieces covering the entire ground. Is that a lot of five cent pieces? That's a lot of five cent pieces, but I've still got a problem because I'm still 100 times less than 10 to the 17th. To get to 10 to the 17th, I need to cover the state of Victoria 120 millimetres deep of five cent pieces. So, you mark a five cent piece, (laughs) you throw it into Victoria somewhere, you shake up the entire state so that five cent piece could be randomly anywhere in the entire state of Victoria. You pick up Joey by helicopter, okay, you take him in a helicopter, you spin the helicopter around so it doesn't know where it's going and it drops Joey somewhere randomly, somewhere in Victoria, the chance of Joey landing in the spot and reaching down into 120 millimetres of five cent pieces deep plucks out the marked five cent piece is one chance in 10 to the 17th. 
Would you bet your soul on heads or tails? <laughs> what about 120 millimetres deep of five cent pieces all over the state of Victoria? And that's just one parameter. One parameter. Stephen Hawking doesn't stop here. He gives us two. He's generous. Gives us two. He gives us another one. And he tells us something else. So we're 100 times too small. Got that. 120 millimetres deep. Stephen Hawking. Now, before it was what? It was the rate of expansion. Now we've got the temperature. So he says, if the temperature of the universe one second after the Big Bang had been cooler or hotter by even one part in 100,000 million million, the universe could not exist. The universe could not exist. What's the number? What's the number there? 10 to the 17th? Okay, so the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang is 10 to the 17th. That's the entire state of Victoria covered in five cent pieces. Got it? Okay. If the temperature of the universe one second after the Big Bang had been cooler or hotter by even one part in 100,000 million million, that's 10 to the 17th. What do we do with those two odds? How do we work out the total odds? What do we do? Who said times them? Thank you, sir. Being minty? Um, you multiply them. You multiply the odds. You've got to multiply them now. So now we've got, what's the answer? What's our total now? You multiply 10 to the 17th. This is a tricky one. If you're paying attention to math or science, you should get this. 10 to the 17th multiplied by 10 to the 17th. 10 to the, 10 to 20 to the power of 34. 34, who said that? Well done. It's 10 to the 34th power. Okay. Um, so that's a, that's a big number. You reckon that's a big number? Oh, yeah. I reckon that's a big number. So in mathematical probability theory, um, they believe that any number greater than 10 to the 50th is mathematically impossible. Okay? We've only gone through two parameters, just two. All right? And we're at 10 to the 34th already. We need to work out 10 to the 34th so you can understand it conceptually. Okay? How big a number that is. All right. So, yes? Are we? Really? Yeah. I've got 38 minutes here. Oh, that's weird. Okay, we'll, we'll work that out real quick. All right, so if you've got... Think about the entire universe. Think about how big it is. They reckon it's been here for 15 billion years. What I want you to work out is how many times we need to do this thing with Joey. Okay? We need to do this exercise with Joey 10 to the 34th, 10 to the 17th times. Do you know how many seconds there's been in the universe for the last 15 billion years? About 10 to the 17th. It's actually about 10 to the 16th. So in 15 billion years, in 15 billion years, we have to perform this exercise with Joey every second that has gone by in the history of the entire universe. So what are you betting your soul on? What are you betting on? Now that's just two, okay? That's just two. So we've looked at that, looked at that, all right? I wanted you to give me the answer. I've given you the answer. The anthropic principle, sorry. So we're really out of time. We are. Okay. We're really out of time. We're going to talk about the anthropic principle, but we've only gone through, remember, two parameters. This is part of the anthropic principle. Every single one of those has to be exact. If any one of those changed by only one small fraction, we would not exist. That's with respect to the universe. I haven't touched on our solar system yet. 
There's another 154 of these that I have a list of. If they changed by only the smallest fraction, you and I won't exist. Any one of them. Can you understand why it takes a little bit more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe? Mm, there's a few there. Okay, praise God. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. All right, God bless you all. See you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah? Sweet. All right.